My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin, a spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. Define the word slut. Can you? What comes to mind? A woman who enjoys sex, who flirts, who has, quote-unquote, many sexual partners? What about someone with large breasts or who wears revealing clothes? Think about it. Do any of these even make sense? This powerful prompt, Define Slut, is on one of my very favorite t-shirts, created and sold by Emily Linden's brainchild, The Unslut Project. I'm so thrilled to have Emily joining us today to explore myths about slut-shaming and more. Emily is the author of Unslut, a diary and a memoir, a columnist for Teen Vogue, and the founder of Unslut Project, which is an online community where survivors of sexual bullying and slut-shaming can share their stories, and where girls who are currently suffering can find support and solidarity. It's so powerful. You may have caught Emily sharing her story. She's all over the place. She speaks out against slut-shaming on TV and radio, including ABC with Katie Couric, CNN with Brooke Baldwin, The Doctors, NPR's Here and Now, Women's Health Magazine, and much more. You may also recall our chat from September of 2014 here on Girl Boner. And wow, Emily and her project community have accomplished so much since then. Their award-winning, completely crowdfunded film, Unslut, a documentary, is currently screening at universities, theaters, and festivals around North America. Thank you for joining me, Emily, and congratulations on all you're accomplishing. Thank you. I'm really delighted to be able to talk with you again. And Honestly, it's it's surprising and heartening to me to see how much we're able to accomplish and how much work we're able to get done against slut shaming. It's beautiful work and I love the community that you've inspired and attracted and so active online and since last time we spoke, you ha- you I think we're still crowdfunding the film and now it's showing. Could you tell people who aren't familiar a little bit about the film? Sure. Um, it's a 40-minute short documentary, and we've been screening it at festivals around North America, uh, but mostly on college campuses and at some high schools and in community centers where people who are all part of the same community can get together and watch this film and then have a discussion afterward to figure out solutions to the ways that slut-shaming works specifically in their community, in their town or their school or campus. Um we crowdfunded it using Kickstarter for production, and then I used a platform called Seed and Spark, which is specific to independent films to crowdfund post-production. And starting in September, we started screening this film, and it's it's really grown out of what the Unslut Project has always been about, which is personal story sharing and using our own vulnerability and authenticity when it comes to talking about sex in our own lives and slut-shaming to start conversations with people who know us and care about us, and then to encourage those people to start conversations who know them and care about them, and to work outward from our own individual spheres to make large-scale change in in our culture. So the documentary features the story of a girl named Retea Parsons, whose death in April of 2013 
was what prompted me to start this project in the first place um, because she had committed suicide after being gang raped by her classmates and then sexually bullied because of it instead of getting the support that she needed. And we went to Nova Scotia, interviewed her parents and some of her friends. So her storyline was the crux of the documentary. And we also featured um, four other women who went through something similar and survived, including Samantha Gailey Geimer, who was Roman Polanski's victim back in the late 70s. Uh, Now she's a grown woman and has written a memoir about her experience being, quote, the girl, unquote, in that scenario. And so it's a great way to kind of compare experiences being really publicly slut-shamed before the age of the internet, before the 24-hour news cycles, and what it's like now with the added ingredient of social media and how it can be inescapable but also how we can use social media for good and how we can make connections with each other that we wouldn't have been able to make before the internet was available as a tool. Beautiful. I love that. And your hashtag unslut, I know you're really active on all the different platforms. And I'm always watching to to learn, really, because it seems you've created this hub for so much conversation. And I know you also attend many of these screenings when you're able and you hold conversations with the audiences afterwards. What have those discussions taught you or have you been surprised about anything as far as kind of the misperceptions about slut shaming? Yeah, it's one of the things that's been most eye-opening for me. I mean, I've been doing this project for over three years and I've learned a lot. I mean, before I started the Unslut project, I was a PhD candidate in musicology and that's it. I wasn't uh, concerned with feminist activism really at all. And so I have been, you know, in some ways really disappointed with all the work that is still to be done, but participating in these conversations after the film screenings uh, or at, at book readings or at workshops or lectures that I'm a part of, has been a way for me to get a sense of the ways that slut shaming kind of manifests in different regions and in different areas where different belief systems have more power than they might other places. So uh, one of the one of the most surprising things to me is that so many people uh, kind of have a have blinders on when it comes to other people's uh, perceptions of sexuality or insecurities of sexuality. We tend to think that like, Everyone else is having normal sex, whatever that is, and that our our hangups and our insecurities are um, are unique, or you know we we can't speak of them because nobody else get it. And I think that plays a lot into manifestations of slut shaming because really, what slut shaming is is the person doing the shaming unable to really put into words or communicate what they're afraid of or what makes them uncomfortable or what turns them on in a way that they think is kind of shameful, Uh, unable to communicate that. So instead putting the blame on a woman, someone completely separate from all that insecurity they carry, they're able to kind of blame her for quote, you know, making them feel a certain way. And in these conversations, it's really been great to hear from people on that side of the spectrum who raise their hand and stand up after you know, a 40-minute film and maybe 10 or 15 minutes of story sharing, they'll they'll come out and say, I do this. I participate in this. And I I never even recognized it. I, I never thought it was anything strange. I, I, I thought it was just normal. And I didn't realize how harmful it was. So I think it's just, it's been really revelatory for me to see the extent to which people have uh, been in like denial, I guess is the way to put it, been in denial about 
about how they ex- express or how they they can't they struggle to express something as intrinsic and um, core to who we are as people as our sexuality. Yeah, absolutely. That really, really strikes me, uh, partly because the questions I hear from women who email me very often, and because it's more private, they tend to email now more. Once I got into the sexuality field, there's a lot more shame, and I get so many people being concerned about their own sexuality being that there's something wrong with them personally. You know, I think that's that's really powerful. And then the magnitude of how serious slut shaming is do you feel like there is this perception that it's kind of no big deal like it's i've i've heard a lot of people kind of laugh it off yeah definitely and i think you know with all types of sexual harassment there is a sense that well just don't let it get to you you know and that's part of it honestly we live in a world that can be really cruel and sometimes that cruelty is is sexist and sometimes it's not and there is something to be said for developing resilience and uh, developing the ability to recognize bullying and harassment as not really about you as the target. So there is something in that. However, it's not a solution to the problem. And I think that's where um, a lot of people are misguided because they'll kind of, you know, wash their hands of the issue and say, well, just teach kids that, that they, they can't let bullies get to them. Problem solved. But specifically when it comes to sexual bullying, what you miss there is how it's rooted in centuries of institutionalized sexism and norms and assumptions about what it means to be a girl or a woman or what our roles are. All of that comes out in slut shaming. And so it's more than just an individual interaction, someone calling you a slut or someone spreading a rumor about you or, you know, someone implying that you should dress differently. That's how we experience it in our day-to-day lives, but packed into it are really, really deeply rooted assumptions that can be harmful to everyone. And you know, um, one of the most harmful ways that slut shaming works is is when it happens alongside or after a sexual assault. And that's, I think, um, that's been a focus for me, especially on college campuses. Now people are really ready to talk about sexual assault prevention and new ways that we can change the culture on campuses. And one way to do that is to acknowledge that slut shaming justifies, excuses, uh, dismisses uh, sexual assault victims. And it also makes it easier for someone to become a sexual assault victim because if people perceive a girl or woman as a slut, that's all they perceive her as. You, they don't see her as a full person with with different aspects of her personality that can be respected and discussed. Rather, she's just a slut. It's a way to kind of uh, dismiss and distill her down to this this label, this stereotype. And then once you've done that, it makes it a lot easier to blame her for violence against her. Um, and that's that's the type of victim blaming that often overlaps with slut shaming. And so, yeah, I do think that it's it's a real problem that we see slut shaming as something that people should just kind of get used to or cope with. Um, I read an article by Clementine Ford, who's an acquaintance of mine writing in Australia, just last week, and I loved it. I was actually about to speak um, at a gathering at 
St. Francis Xavier in Antigonish, Nova Scotia. And I quoted this, this article for the audience the next day because I was so moved by it. She said, um, when, we dis- when people dismiss slut shaming or when people dismiss sexual harassment and sexual assault, what they're saying is, when will you women learn that the world is not safe for you? And that really resonated with me. I mean, honestly, it feels like a kick to the gut because that's what they're saying. Just learn that the world is not safe for you and deal with it. And that's not something I'm willing to do. And I don't think many, many women are. And so I'm really glad that we're able to motivate people to start taking steps toward change. Yes, that is so, so powerful. I had chills when you were speaking about that, that quote, um, I also, I saw this study or survey from the American Association of University Women that showed that a third of all students experience having someone make unwelcome sexual comments, jokes, or gestures. Uh, 46% of girls were experiencing it and that slut shaming can start very, very young, even without using that actual term, you know, quote, slut. Have you heard much from parents or young children as far as your activism goes? Yes, definitely. I mean, it's it's tricky because the the normalization of slut shaming starts really early. I mean, honestly, as soon as kids start noticing their bodies, we can either enforce negative messages about privacy and consent, or we can counter those by starting conversations about what your body looks like, who's allowed to touch your body, um, how comfortable you should be being naked in certain scenarios, all these different types of things that kids are really curious about. Those are opportunities to help them grow into critical thinking, open-minded grown-ups. But because we feel so awkward as adults about sex and, and especially about thinking of our children as sexual beings at all, we, we often don't get over that hurdle and we just kind of shut it down or um, reinforce the shame surrounding those issues. And, and it's tough, especially when we're talking about sex ed in schools, because I know from personal experience, when I was in middle school back in the 90s, I was labeled a school slut. And I know now from going into middle schools and doing workshops where the principal or the guidance counselor is on board with this message, that it happens all the time now. I mean, when you bring it up with middle school students today, there's there's no one who doesn't get it or who who is completely baffled by this concept. They're very uh, comfortable and familiar with this type of, of bullying. But we still, you know, at that age um, are afraid, I think, to, and by we, I mean people making policies about any kind of sex education. I think we're afraid to like, to address it head on. And it used to be that we were able to kind of bury our heads in the sand and say, well, if you don't talk to kids about sex, then they don't learn about it until, I don't know, until they're married or whatever kind of fantasy world we want to adhere to. But now there's no excuse because of online porn. There is no way that that a person is going to get through high school without encountering some kind of stand-in for sex education online. And I mean, frankly, if that's the type of education that kids are getting and there's no counter narrative from their parents or from schools, no no type of real empowering and factually accurate uh, sexual information about their bodies and consent and decision-making and pleasure, then we're doing them a huge disservice. They're going to be having really unfulfilling sex lives forever and not being able to communicate about it. And I don't think that's what anyone wants for their kids. So yeah, framing it that way in terms of responsibility, we have to help our kids grow into 
human beings who are healthy in all aspects of their lives, including their sexual lives, I think will do um, a great deal of work toward normalizing sex and the ways that we talk about it in age-appropriate ways uh, with kids. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's so interesting to me and sad that we have usually one class or maybe if we're lucky two classes when we're growing up about our sexuality and our bodies and it's so limited and I love that you mentioned age appropriate because I think a lot of adults hear sex ed starting from the ground up and they're thinking we're going to like teach them how to have sex when they're five or something and it's (laughs) it's not that it's it's like you said learning about their bodies and maybe learning their body parts so that they feel empowered to know and the differences of course between good touch bad touch and all of those things But again, that that body image role and that awareness so that it isn't when it's one talk, it's so daunting. Yeah, exactly. And when it's just one talk, it can feel like I mean, I've had that experience, too. I went into a middle school where I was speaking. I had an hour to speak in a huge gymnasium to all the seventh and eighth grade students and all the faculty who were there. Um, Then in the afternoon, I got to work in small groups of like 15 to 20 eighth grade girls. And the afternoon was so much more productive because the students I was speaking to in the morning, I mean, they hadn't had any sex education at all. And all of a sudden, here's this lady coming in and trying to help them understand pretty complicated issues. And a lot of the boys' faces were kind of blank. You know, it didn't make sense to them, even though they were part of a culture where sexual sexual bullying was normal. The, the vocabulary wasn't there for them. Uh, this type of problem solving when it comes to sexual decision making wasn't there for them. General practice of empathy for people who are different from you wasn't there for them. So it was really um, a lot more useful to be able to delve into smaller group conversations for me at that school anyway. But I think it's representative of a much larger problem where we think we can kind of have a, you know, one health class that even lasts for a semester. And with no other context and with no um, with no way to practice it in their everyday lives. So like having a follow-up conversation with their parents or unpacking it further in classroom settings or with their friends, then kids don't really get a chance to process it and to figure out how they can, how, how it can fit into the specifics of their life and their school community. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And those roots that get planted so early really have deep consequences, as you were mentioning earlier, all these different ways that we internalize these messages. I actually received a question from a listener who wants to remain anonymous that I'm going to pass along to our resident sex and relationships expert, Dr. Megan Fleming of greatlifegreatsex.com. And then I would love, Emily, to hear your thoughts as well. She wrote me this, my boyfriend and I recently played one of those get to know your partner games and we ended up talking about our sexual past for the first time. When he learned my number, how many people I've slept with, he kind of freaked out. He said he never thought of me as quote unquote so promiscuous and brings it up every time we make love. I don't, I don't think I was promiscuous at all. I've simply enjoyed sex with more partners than he has. How can I keep him from seeing me as a slut? Here's what Dr. Megan had to say. This is a great question because so often we truly do want to get to know our partner and sort of know their history and their prior experiences because it just really feels like it makes us uh, or makes them more known to us. And yet, you know, we should always say, careful what you wish for. Um, Because in this case, it's like, 
At the end of the day, when sharing uh, past history and specifically a number of sexual partners, it's so important that we recognize that a number is a number. You know, whether that's a weight on the scale or a number of partners, the meaning of it uh, really varies depending on the individual and the person. And we so so often get hung up on as if a number in and of itself has meaning. And so what I'm hearing you say is, here your boyfriend all of a sudden asked and it was part of a game, but now it's like, he's got a connotation associated with it. And I remember, you know, speaking to my friends in, in, in my 20s and 30s, and talking about quote unquote numbers and you know it had so much to do with if if you do the math you know some of us were serial monogamists and we could spend two years five years in relationship and some people might be three months six months a year into relationship and again significant these were relationships they were intimate um and others really enjoy sort of a more casual encounter and i think you know unfortunately in our culture you know this idea of slut shaming is that women can be sexual but not quote unquote too sexual as if any of us even really knows what that means. It just means that you're making a conscious decision of when you want to share an experience with another individual or partner. And, you know, again, we can also talk about how do we even define sex, right? You know, are we talking oral sex? Are we talking penetration? Some people, you know, even of the religious persuasion think that they're saving their virginities because it's okay to have anal sex, but that's not sex. So I think it's really important that uh, when we ask a question, we're open to what that answer might be and that we don't predetermine or judge. And so the part that I'm really hearing here and is so important is unfortunately your partner, he's got somehow a vision or an idea that quote unquote your number has meant that you're promiscuous and unfortunately so it's you know albert ellis would call it a disturbing thought or wearing you know albert ellis would say shit colored glasses that unfortunately he's taken away from the pleasure and the the decision that you both are choosing and wanting to have experiences together because he's clouding his mind with intrusive thoughts thinking about your past experience and that's the thing about the past. It really needs to be let go. It has no business being in the present moment. Um, and so I really would just say, you know, explore with him. How or why does this number have a meaning? What is that attached to? Because my sense it's either a narrative about either our culture and what we think about women, or maybe it's a previous partner who may have cheated on him or you know, I don't know. And that's the whole point. We can't mind read. We can't know. But what we do know is that it's impacting your pleasure and your sex life. And so it's got to be unpacked. Uh, you know, it's really about unpacking and leaving all that baggage behind. So take this opportunity to really explore the meaning and to put that to bed so that ultimately you both can really enjoy each other in bed. That's my thoughts. And I'd love to hear how it goes. Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. And I love what she said about, you know, a number is just a number. And even comparing it to the number in a scale, it doesn't say anything about your value or your worth. And I think it's really interesting. This could be a great uh, conversation point with with her boyfriend. Uh, Emily, I would love to hear, I'm sure you've heard questions along this line before. Um, do you have any thoughts to add how she can quote unquote, keep her boyfriend from seeing her as a slut now that he has this information about her, her history. Yeah. I think the question demonstrates how slut shaming hurts us all, you know, regardless of gender, if you're not the target of it, you still absorb these harmful assumptions uh, about female sexuality and how many partners a girl has had or a woman has had. And, you know, her boyfriend, 
probably, like most straight guys I know, really wants in a partner someone who can explore their sexuality, can communicate about it openly, is comfortable with it, and um, can experience pleasure and give him pleasure, uh, and wants that mixed with the stereotype of a, quote, good girl. Um, And unfortunately, because good girls and sluts don't exist (laughs) as people types, um, you're setting yourself up for failure because you have this expectation of the type of girl that you're supposed to marry or take home to meet your parents. It's not a slut. And when you are you know, you've chosen a partner when you've chosen a girlfriend and then this new information comes to light, it can pull the rug out from under you because you think, oh my gosh, I thought I was dating a good girl. I might be dating a slut. I mean, all of it is absurd when you say it out loud that way, but that's kind of the process that we set ourselves up for when we uh, grow up in a, in a culture where we're dividing women into only being either a slut or a good girl. And I think that plays a lot into her boyfriend's reaction in terms of how she can respond to it. You know, Um, I'll speak from personal experience. I have had many sex partners, casual sex partners in my life. I'm now in a monogamous marriage uh, to a husband who has also had many sex partners casually in his past. And we haven't talked about all of them and the details and what we learned from each one of them. Because I think that would be uncomfortable for us. As uh, Dr. Megan said, you know, leaving aspects of the past in the past makes a lot of sense, especially when jealousy comes into play or insecurity. But We have acknowledged, and I would encourage her to bring up to her boyfriend, that we've learned from those partners. And I, you know, I would write a handwritten thank you note to each of my husband's past sexual partners for everything that they've been able to teach him about female pleasure and about communication and about, you know, what women like. And yes, it varies woman to woman, but I would much rather hook up with a guy who's been able to explore that with a bunch of different women than someone who's completely new to the game, who who feels afraid or um, insecure. So, you know, I know each person has their own preferences, but my guess is that her boyfriend is really benefiting from her sexual history and from the different experiences that she's had who have made her who she is as a sexual person. Uh, And without having to get into the details, she could remind him of that, you know, that she, I don't know what he expected from her, but if she had a lower number, she might be less comfortable expressing herself. She might not want to participate in different sex acts that he likes because she's weirded out by them. I mean, all different types of barriers that might be there have already been broken down uh, because of all the experience that she's had. And now he gets to have her as a sex partner, as someone who has already done a lot of that hard work and a lot of that uncomfortable work. And and so he should really be delighted. That's the way that I would frame it to him. I love that so much. And I love that you mentioned, you know, thank you notes, like <laughs> having gratitude, because I have to laugh too, because I went through a similar experience. I relate to all of that as well. And I, at one point, decided this was after I had really started to embrace my sexuality. I thought it would be a great idea to make an album for my partner of like all of our relationships that led up to us like photos. And, uh, really? (laughs) Yeah, I'm serious. And at the time it sounded like this, I think it was for like Valentine's day too. I thought it was going to be this very romantic thing until it hit me how like kind of delusional that might (laughs) possibly be. (laughs) Cause I, I'm not sure that like you, you both 
Dr. Megan both said, there's a fine line. You don't need to dredge it all up and put it in each other's face, but uh, to honor it in, in whatever way you both feel comfortable. And if that is with photos or thank you notes, that's great too. Uh, you know, that is, that is a, I love that advice. Thank you so, so much. What do you recommend to anyone who's listening who does feel like they tend to to kind of buy into slut shaming, you know, such as a partner who's struggling, because I'm sure that's a, a difficult space to be in, not necessarily in a relationship, but let's say, you know, they're familiar with the term and they can't help, but, you know, feel like they're unable to judge women in that kind of a way. Yeah. You know, speaking as someone who used to slut shame a lot, as I think most of us have at some point in our lives, I um I understand what it's like to be tempted to use slut shaming as a tool um to distinguish myself from other women to you know distinguish myself from my partner's past girlfriends um all different ways that women feel we need to use it but you know guys as well if we don't if if they don't take like uh or, or make a a specific effort to work against that tendency in themselves, it can be pretty easily to, easy to get swept up in it and to participate without even meaning to. So, you know, I would suggest getting to the root of it and being a little bit more creative with what you're trying to say. So what I mean by that is slut is a pretty lazy insult. Um, putting someone down because of her sexuality or what you think of her sexuality is is not specific and it doesn't get to the root of what's really bothering you. Um, you know, people will write to me, well, what about people who really deserve to be called a slut? Like for instance, this woman sleeps with other guys, uh, other women's husbands and, and tries to steal them away. Isn't she a slut? So taking that as an extreme example, you know, what is wrong about that behavior or what bothers you about that behavior? if another woman is flirting with your partner or you think another woman um, is interested sexually in the, in the person that you're invested in emotionally and romantically, put your finger on what's really bothering you about that. It's, it's not female sexuality that's the problem. It's not the fact that she is a sexual being and has a body that is the problem. It's maybe your insecurity about your relationship or you know, maybe she's disloyal. Maybe she's uh, not being the best friend. Maybe she's untrustworthy. Maybe, maybe your partner is untrustworthy. Maybe you have to start unpacking why you're trusting this person in the first place. But the point is, it's not um, is to avoid the temptation to distill it down to she is a slut. Because when you do that, you reinforce the idea that what is wrong with the whole situation is the fact of her sexuality. And that's just not true. Um, and by implying that it's true, we kind of give license to other people to later imply that our sexuality is what's wrong. And and to imply, you know, to paint with a really broad brush that, that female sexuality is tricky or deceptive or gross or, or whatever type of, um, you know, adjective that you want to put on it. It's, it's not. And so I would encourage people to, yeah, just try to be a little more specific and creative with what really is um, at the core of the way you're feeling. And that comes in handy with all types of different interpersonal interactions. I mean, really, it's it's helpful to be able to think critically about our what feel like our gut reactions in all scenarios, but especially when it comes to the way we judge and label other women or or if we're not women, you know, the way we judge and label women in general, I just, I feel like 
taking the time to think critically about what it is that's actually upsetting us. You know, we don't have to like every other woman. We don't have to respect every other woman, but we don't need to make it about their sexuality. Absolutely. I love that. And as you said, critical thinking is so empowering and powerful and it might not always be fun. It might highlight some, you know, of our own challenges, things we need to work on within ourselves, but everybody really benefits from that. That's, that's really powerful. What would you recommend to anyone listening who is being sexually bullied right now? Well, the first thing I would say is just to recognize that it's not about you. I mean, when you think about it in practice, women who are covered head to toe are slut shamed in different parts of the world. Women who, or, or girls who, you know, stand next to boys or hold their hands can be slut shamed in different parts of the world. And we're not like any different. It's not like we are more evolved than people living in other parts of the world who operate within different religious and, and cultural systems. We have the same types of reactions and we have the same types of d- deeply rooted misogynist assumptions. We just um, have different norms that we adhere to. So I would, you know, encourage people to recognize that it's not about you personally. Anyone at any time can decide that anyone else is a slut. And that's why it's so dangerous. It's really um, a constant threat always that we have to operate uh, according to, knowing that at any time all of our life's work, everything that we've committed to and built and established ourselves according to can be taken away from us at the drop of a hat because someone decides that they're going to replace that with this idea that we're a slut and that's it. And uh, so I I think finding solidarity and the knowledge that it can happen to anyone, it does happen to many, many women, and that it's not about you specifically, it's about the person doing the shaming. Um, I think that can be a really important realization when it comes to not internalizing the slut shaming. And when we decide we're not going to internalize it, that's, that's really powerful. It it avoids, you know, self-harm and um, all types of different mental health issues that can stem out of slut shaming. It's being able to put up a solid front within ourselves against it is the first important step. I'd also encourage people to, um, end harmful relationships. They can be really hard to do if you're in high school or middle school where you're kind of constantly forced to be surrounded with people you haven't chosen to surround yourself with. But as adults, we get to choose who we surround ourselves with. And we get to choose the amount of time and the um, amount of energy we're going to spend on different people in our lives, including our family members, including really old friends. So I think trying to start a conversation with someone who's slut-shaming you in a way that calls them in rather than calling them out is a great strategy. You know, expressing how it makes you feel, asking them to define what they're doing, really encouraging them to think critically about what they're participating in. And if they refuse to, and if they continue to bully you and put you down, they're not a person that's worth having in your life. I mean, that they're willing to distill you to down to this one stereotype that really doesn't mean anything. They're, they're trying to define you according to what they think about your sexuality. And that's not the type of person that you need to give any power to or waste any more time on. Absolutely. That's my favorite kind of detox, you know, cleanse is, and it's, it's not always easy, but it's so empowering and beautiful. And I hope everyone listening will know that they are worth those efforts and really hear all of your words. You're just such a spectacular resource. Could you remind us where we can learn more about you and your work and get involved? 
Sure. And thank you, August. That's really kind of you to say. I appreciate it. And I always love talking with you. Um, my website is unslutproject.com. And I do most of our social media as well. And so I'm using Twitter and Facebook to try to counter a lot of the negative ways those tools are used. So on Facebook, it's the Unslut Project. And on Twitter, it's at Unslut Project. And we use the hashtag Unslut to share all types of different experiences. I also encourage your listeners to um, submit their experiences through the Unslut Project website because it's a community built around a collection of experiences of vastly different from all over the world, all, all different types of backgrounds, submissions regarding slut shaming and overcoming it and finding solidarity with other women. It's, it's just a great way to get involved. So I, enc- I encourage your listeners to submit their personal stories through the Unslut Project website and to check out the film and to, if they're interested, read my middle school diary and uh, the commentary that I've added to it in my book, Unslut, A Diary and a Memoir. Beautiful. And they can submit anonymously, right? Yes, definitely. It's it's funny. I expected that people would want to submit YouTube videos, um, but there's still such a stigma surrounding ever having been labeled a slut or ever having been sexually bullied at your life in your life at all, that a lot of the submissions we get are anonymous. And I appreciate that. I mean, I understand there's a lot at risk for a lot of people when they decide to to share their stories for the first time. But regardless of whether it's submitted anonymously or not, there is a real catharsis to be found in finally writing down what happened to you and how it made you feel and how you've overcome it. Almost everyone I speak to who has been a part of this project and contributed their story feels um, a real sense of power and and taking back their own narrative just by writing it down and, and putting it out there into the ether of the internet for the first time. Yeah, I could completely see that. And it's it's all so powerful. So everyone listening, please check out unslutproject.com if you haven't yet. Find them online. Find Emily and the whole community. It is just such a beautifully supportive, educational, and inspiring place to be. If you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes so you will never miss a beat. And keep in mind that ratings and reviews are awesome. To read about 16 women's journeys to sexual empowerment, including my own and a very powerful one from Emily Linden, check out my latest book, Embraceable. Thanks so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.